Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. The sermon title for today is First Thessalonians Hope. And I want to be clear, every time I preach this sermon series is the purpose of this sermon series, preach from the book of 1 Thessalonians, is to challenge and inspire us to live fully for Jesus Christ during times of adversity. I want to say this again, the purpose of this sermon series, preach from the book of 1 Thessalonians, is to challenge and inspire us to live fully for Jesus Christ during times of adversity. The reality of it is, every pastor loves to preach from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Here's the reason. It's one of the only letters Paul writes where he's not rebuking the church at the very beginning of his letter. Finally, you have a church that's getting it right. And the Thessalonican church is doing exceptionally well. The reality of it is, that absolutely blew Paul's mind. Because Acts chapter 16 and 17 tells us, clearly that Paul was there planting that church for three weeks. And after three weeks preaching in the synagogue, a violent persecution came out against him. And so in the middle of the night, at the end of the third Sabbath, the third Saturday, he was smuggled out to save his life under the cover of darkness. He had almost been killed in Philippi before that. Then he was in Thessalonica. They almost kill him there. And then he goes on to Berea and a group of people leave Thessalonica to follow him and to persecute him in Berea. The Apostle Paul has become a lightning rod of persecution for the first century church. Now, what's amazing to Paul is that Timothy, and we're going to read Timothy's name in just a moment, was one of the three people that wrote this letter with Paul. There were three of them. There were two others. And Timothy, we know for sure, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, went to visit this church. Paul didn't. But Timothy brought great report and told him how awesome the church was doing. And it blew Paul's mind. He couldn't believe that in the midst of an idolatrous city that was filled with debauchery and filled with idolatry and filled with persecution, the church was thriving so imagine the excitement of Paul as he writes this church to encourage them. Let's read what Paul writes in the first three verses. We're only going to go that far at the outset of the sermon. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. Here's what Paul writes. Paul, and Sil Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the three that write the letter to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. So what Paul's going to do now is he's going to tell them why they're doing well. And if they're doing well, I want to know. I want to know what they did that Paul's so excited about. And so what Paul does is he says, we always thank God for all of you continually mentioning you in our prayers. And then he lists three things. We remember for God, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. We looked at that last week. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I talked about last week, as we looked at these same, this verse 3, we discovered in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, that where the text you just read said, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, that those three words are not there in Greek. The word produced, prompted, and inspired is added by the translators to help you get the gist of it. But in Greek, here's how 1 Thessalonians 1.3 is written. Literally in the Greek, here's what it says. These three things you're doing right. Work of faith, labor of love, endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the three things they've gotten right is work of faith, dealt with that last week, labor of love, we're gonna skip over that, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what we know. The endurance of hope is one of the things they're getting right and I want to know why. And here's why. In the past 18 months of COVID, I have met with more people who have lost their endurance. If they've gotten it right, then we can learn from them. But I would ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to, but I want you to think about your own life. Have you lost your endurance? Had you lost your endurance during COVID? Did you feel like giving up? Did you give up? I know many people who have found themselves in that zone. And yet somehow, a church that only knew Paul for three weeks is thriving in the city of Thessalonica in the midst of persecution and idolatry and everything that comes with that. The opposition is fierce. And yet... They have what Paul calls the endurance of hope. So I want to talk about that this morning. First of all, we need to understand what endurance is in the Greek. Endurance is a fascinating word. It's a word that is the conjunction of two Greek words, hupo mone. Hupo mone. That's one word, hupo mone. But hupo means under, and meno means to remain. So endurance means to remain under. That's what it literally means. Hope, on the other hand, is elpis. And in the original language, hope means the expectation of what is certain. That is going to become key. The expectation of what is certain. And my question is, how many of us have lost our endurance? And if you have, it's because you've put your hope in the wrong thing. That's why. So I want to be clear that endurance and hope goes together. Let me give you an example of a member of my family. I wouldn't want to pick on anyone else's family a member of someone in my family who lost hope. Our dog, Banks. I would use a human example, but you don't want to use human beings for a negative example, so let's pick on our dog, Banks. Our dog, Banks, is an awesome dog. She weighs about 90 pounds, and she's a blue tick coonhound. 
The reason why we have banks is because my older daughter, Allie, was going off to UVA. My daughter, Jackie, who was a grade, well, two grades behind her, was still in the house. She'd always wanted a dog, always. So I felt in my heart that it was time to let Jackie get a dog because her and Allie are thick as thieves. And so Allie's going off to UVA, so let's go ahead and get a dog. And the way you do this is you approach your wife and say, we're going to foster a dog. And the goal is during the fostering, she falls in love with the dog and it becomes an adoption. Fostering to adoption. So Jackie, very excitedly, we go to the SBCA right there behind Walmart and uh, we go to look for a dog. So we're walking through going cage to cage. Nope, 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 nope. We literally get to the very end cage and Jackie looks in and the dog leaps up, puts her paws on the fence and looks straight into her, lot, her eyes and says in perfect English, get me out of here. <laughs> like perfect English, right? Here's funny thing. That dog's never done that again. Ever. That's true. Never again. And Jackie looks into Banks's eyes, and they fall in love. And so we foster Banks. Banks had obviously been quite abused, and Jackie's nurturing her and really getting her back. And it's just an incredible thing to see. Now, here's where endurance comes in. I was raised on a farm with German shepherds. German shepherds do what you tell them to do. Blue tick coon hounds don't. Total different dog. So we as the crow flies live about two and a half miles from here, and we live in a neighborhood, but we have deer in our front yard almost every night. So one of the first times we let Banks out, we open the door, she goes out, and there's deer in our front yard, and the deer take off, and there goes Banks. Now, a, a coon hound's howl is awesome. It's horrible indoors, but outdoors it's awesome. So there goes Banks after this deer. The deer, there's like a dozen of them. They scatter, and she just goes flying across the street and literally just disappears. So I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to explain to my daughter I've lost the love of her life, <laughs> right? By the way, I asked Jackie once, I said, if we were in a boat and the boat was going down, you had to save me or Banks, who would you save? She said, don't ask the question you don't want the answer to. <laughs> so anyway, now you know. So anyway, Banks takes off chasing these deer. Well, here's what was amazing. 25 minutes later, she's perched on my front porch. Found out the coon hounds can retrace their steps because their nose is phenomenal. So she chased these deer, never caught them. Well, here's what's interesting. Over time, she no longer chases deer because she can't catch them. And she's learned it isn't worth it because the hope I have, my endurance can't maintain it. And now here's a true story. We have deer laying in our front yard. I can open up the front door. She will walk out, get three feet nose to nose, do her business, and then come back in. Doesn't bark. Doesn't, and they're laying down. They're like, she could actually catch them now. And they lay there nose to nose. If I walk her through our neighborhood, she will walk up to deer, wag her tail, sniff a little bit, and then just walk away. Don't even chase them. Here's why. She's learned that she doesn't have the endurance to catch what she hopes for because she knows she can't get it. So now, she even try. What you put your hope in matters because if what you put your hope in is something that eludes you, 
and will never find you. You end up in trouble and you lose your endurance. By the way, this is so important that in the book of Proverbs, there is a verse that's profound. Proverbs 13, 12, here it is. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That is shocking, because do you know what the tree of life is? The tree of life is the tree in the Garden of Eden that gave Adam and Eve everything they needed for life. And it's a rare usage of that metaphor. And here it is. I want us to look at this verse again, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I know by the sheer numbers of people in this sanctuary, there are heart sick people. Because your hope and what you've hoped in has eluded you. But a longing fulfilled is like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And when you eat of it, you get the wisdom in the presence of God. So, recognizing this, I understand that Paul looks at this church that he pastored for three weeks, and he says to them, you're doing endurance of hope right. You've got it. Blows his mind, but they've got it. When it comes to endurance of hope, they're not like banks. They actually have put their hope in something that's allowed them to endure. And in verses 9 through 10, Paul tells us exactly what it is. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. He writes to them. Six verses after, he lists the three things. Work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope. We find the reference that he's speaking of. First of all, you turn to God from idols. That's work of faith. We talked about that last Sunday. Next one, to serve the living and true God. That's the labor of love. Now, here's the third one. The third one is the endurance of hope. And here's what he says. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So their endurance of hope is what it is because they are waiting for his son from heaven the one who God has raised from the dead, Jesus. So one more time, the endurance of hope equals to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus. Now, if you've been heart sick, here's what I want you to know. Our endurance of hope is not based upon what we are experiencing in the here and now. Our endurance rests on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus will return for those who place their hope in him. Here's what's amazing to me. Almost every letter Paul writes, he talks about the return of Jesus in almost every letter. 
he talks about how the resurrected Christ who you've seen go up is actually going to return. And when he does, he will rule and reign and all things will be as God intended them to be. It's called the second coming of Jesus. And what I know is we live in a world that never thinks about this. But in all of Paul's letter and in the ministry of Jesus, this is a key factor for our hope. Now what amazes me is that the apostle Paul is he is writing the church of Thessalonica, is telling them your endurance of hope is based in the one Jesus resurrected or God resurrected from the dead, Jesus, but also you're waiting for him to return. They're waiting for that. And because of that, their hope is enduring. It's actually working. Now, it's interesting to note that almost every time in the Bible, the return of Jesus is mentioned, it's always mentioned after his resurrection. Almost always. First, the writer will talk about Jesus raised from the dead, and then after that, the writer will talk about or teach on the return of Jesus. Resurrection, return. I have you a question. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and if he was, there's nothing he can't accomplish nothing because he has defeated all things, death, hell, the grave, the powers that oppose God's good in the world, all of them came against Jesus on the cross and by the way, they won. They killed him. Now here's what's incredible. They knew that was God's plan, but those powers can't help themselves. Every time they see Jesus, they have to kill him, even though they know it's part of God's plan. Can't help themselves. So here's Jesus, half of every gospel, telling anyone who would listen, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and die, and everything's gonna come against me, but guess what? On the third day, wait for the third day, and no one was. Not even his mother or his closest friends thought he would be raised from the dead. Everyone listen clearly, had run out of endurance because their hope was in the wrong place. But on the third day, what does Jesus do? He's raised from the dead. You'd have never heard of him if he hadn't been raised from the dead. You'd never heard of Christmas. You'd have never heard of Jesus. You would have never heard of him had he not been raised from the dead because when he was, he was resurrected. And in him, there's a new kind of life. It's called the resurrection life. Now picture this. You've got this church that's in Thessalonica and they've had their leader for three weeks. He's been teaching every day in the synagogue. Now he's gone. What do you think they knew? They knew Jesus, dead, buried, and resurrected. There was something else that Paul taught them, that Jesus will return. And you need to wait for it with expectation. Because when he does, everything you're struggling with is going to be turned right. And when he shows up and he finally rules and reigns, all things will be as God intended. Now, what the Apostle Paul does 
is he teaches the Thessalonians exactly what will happen. So in chapter 1, in the first nine verses, he says your endurance of hope. He tells us what they're hoping in. And then in chapter 4, he teaches about the return of Jesus. So let's look there before we close. By the way, I'm going to begin to talk about the return of Jesus this Sunday. Next Sunday is Father's Day, which is the best day of the year. And then we're going to go to the next Sunday and talk about the return of Jesus more. But here's what the Apostle Paul writes to those same group of people. Your hope is enduring, and here's what you need to know about the return of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Here's what he teaches. He writes, For the Lord himself, Jesus, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. When people get discouraged and their endurance of hope is waning, Paul says, talk to them about the return of Jesus. That this world isn't hopeless. That your life isn't over. That there's one who will return and when he does, all things will be exactly as God had intended. Now when you look at this, he says, encourage one another with these words. I have a question. How many of you have had someone in your life that ever encouraged you at a critical moment? You ever have that? I want you to think about them real quick and thank God for them. And then I want you to think about what they said. Literally, what did they say? What did they say to you? I remember in my own pastoral ministry, it was one of the most difficult seasons of my life. I had just graduated from seminary. I was a chaplain at a university in New Jersey, and I was hired, and I was so far in over my head. Now, how many of you know when you get your first job, that's kind of how it is? You're just in it. By the way, if you've just gotten your first job and you feel in over your head, welcome to the world all of us lived in. How many of you know that are older that that's absolutely true? As my dad said, you fake it and make it and then pray. Now, here we are. And I'm there at this university, and I'm in over my head. And we had this real quirky thing that the team that I was serving with would do at times. And what they would do is they called it an encouragement party. And they would put a piece of tape on your back and a piece of cardboard or very stiff paper, and everyone would come up behind you, and they would write what they appreciated about you on your back. Has anyone else ever gone through that? Am I literally the only one? <laughs> Anyway, so they'd write stuff, and all of mine always began with the same thing, I like your tan. Well, let me explain something to you. This is genetics. It's not something I do. I get a tan shoveling snow, so that's not encouraged. You know what I mean? Anyway, so after that, people would write things, and, you know, I'd been at it about nine months, and there was a lady on the team by Mary Lou Hartway, and I'll never forget what she did. I was over there looking at the piece of paper. No one in the room knew I was discouraged. 
And here's what she said to me. She said, Pete, I've noticed something about you. And I said, Mary Lou, what's that? She said, I've noticed that you're the type of person, and it's really rare, who can walk up to anyone and introduce yourself and ask them how they're doing. She said, you don't care who it is. And I had never noticed that about myself, ever. But I had no problems with walking up to President Shapiro at Princeton University and saying, hey, I'm Pete, how are you doing today? I mean, what's he gonna do? There's nothing he can do. And at Princeton, we had famous people that would walk across the campus all the time. And if I saw a famous person, I thought, why wouldn't they wanna meet me? Have you ever thought that? Like, I'm pretty cool. Why wouldn't they want to meet me, right? So I would go up there and I'd just say, hey, my name's Pete. I serve as a chaplain here. And they'd go, oh, man, great to meet you. And then sometimes I'd say, you want a tour? And they always said yes. And I'd give them this great tour of Princeton University, a lot of historical stuff, just amazing. But anyway, she said to me, she said, Pete, I've noticed that about you. And let me tell you, when she said that, that changed me. I had never known that about myself. I'd never known that. I'd never seen it as a strength, ever. And when she said that, something clicked in my soul because I was an introverted farm boy that lived a relatively isolated life. And in ministry, you gotta know how to approach people, right? I hate to say this, but ministry is about people. And you're one of them right? So the idea was when she said that, I was so discouraged. And when she said that, I actually thought to myself, wow, God really has transformed me to where I can do this. Because I was an isolated, introverted farm kid. And if I had met President Shapiro, then I'd have ducked and run. And yet now, and she saw that, that word of encouragement transformed me. But here's what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. When someone and their endurance is hope is gone, you want to go to them and encourage them with this. The same way Jesus was raised from the dead, the same way Jesus was resurrected, he will return. And so if you're discouraged and your endurance has waned, it's because your hope isn't in that You've put your hope in something temporal, your performance, who you are, who likes you, who doesn't like you, your Facebook page, how many likes you get on your Facebook, how much money you have, how much money you don't have, all of the stuff that we can get embroiled in. What the Apostle Paul is teaching us and really commending the church of Thessalonica is when someone's endurance has run out, refocus them. Keep your hope on something you can trust in, and if he's resurrected, then he can return. Would you stand with me as we close? As we stand together and the worship team returns, we're gonna put feet to our faith with this message by closing our eyes in God's presence. Have you lost your endurance? Are you like banks in life? You don't even run anymore. You don't even chase. Because the hope, well, the hope is gone. It's been put in the wrong thing. If you've lost your endurance, whether in a marriage, in a job, in your studies, 
And whatever it is, I want to encourage you, put your hope in something that is certain. And the resurrection is certain. Not only that, no, that as certain as Jesus is resurrected from the dead and now seated at the right hand of the Father, that there will come a day where he will return as the earth's king and he will establish his kingdom and its rule and its reign. And although it's the upside-down kingdom that we're called into, his kingdom will turn this world right side up. Put your hope in him. His resurrection is called the hope of glory. It's something you can trust in. You can set your life on. You can rest your faith in. He is resurrected, and he will also return. 